The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So we are continuing in our series on Proverbs. We started this series last week, and I love this book, not just for the wisdom it provides, but I think it shows that God has a sense of humor. I mean, where else can you find verses like this, where it says, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating? That is a great verse. Put that on a coffee cup this Father's Day. I think that's my new life verse, by the way. I just found it. So Chase did a great job last week showing us how wisdom begins with fearing God. And he taught out of uh, chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's going to be really important for us to ground ourselves in this passage each week because if we're not careful, Proverbs can just sound like good advice. And wisdom is so much more than just good advice. We're going to cover topics like plans, money, friendship, addiction, but it's going to be incomplete unless we're living from a heart that reveres and worships God. So we can't just see it as good advice. It's so much more than that. So how do we know that someone fears God? Well, do they live with wisdom? We know if someone fears God by how they handle their sexuality, their money, their friendships, how they navigate life. We'll know whether or not they fear God. The world just works a certain way. And the question is, do we submit to it? I heard someone say this past week that the wise person lives with the grain of the universe. And the fool, the foolish person, tries to go against the grain of the universe, and they often suffer for it. So do we submit to ultimate reality? We're all under the same reality, and none of us are exempt from it. I started coaching my son's soccer team this past, a couple months ago, and, and every spring when those first few hot and sunny days come along, I make the same mistake. The first few times it's hot and sunny, I go out and I don't put on sunscreen. Every year I do it, every year I pay for it. Now, there are these people out there, some might call them doctors, who tell us to wear sunscreen. But every year I think, no, this year's going to be different. This year the sun's going to be different. My skin's going to be different. And every year I do it, every year I pay for it. And after I do, every shower feels like someone pouring hot lava down the back of my neck. You know what I'm talking about. It turns out I'm not the only one who's done this recently. This next picture is one of our pastors after taking his daughter kayaking recently. I won't tell you who it is, but his initials are Casey Burke. (laughs) So we all do this, but here's the deal. We all live under the same sun. We all live under the same ultimate reality, and we can't defy ultimate reality. My wife and I have been working our way through this documentary called OJ, Made in America, about OJ Simpson. And... One of his friends early on in the interview is saying to him, you know, when I saw OJ going down this pathway of selfishness and cheating on his wife and living for himself, I said to him, I said, you know, you can't, you can't defy the laws of God. You can't defy ultimate reality. And so this friend was trying to speak prophetically into his friend's life. And this is really what Proverbs is. It's someone speaking prophetically into our lives This book is especially written to the youth, just showing them how life works. The book is 
essentially a mother and a father sitting their son or daughter down and saying, this is how life works. This is what it looks like to live under ultimate reality. And you can't defy ultimate reality. So I work primarily with the younger generation, and they are notorious for thinking that the rules don't apply to them. They'll think, I'll find a way. I'm going to find a way around the rules, and it's all going to work out, and it never does. Here's how young Christians tend to think. Is there a verse that says, I can't do fill in the blank? No? Then I'm doing it. Now, there are some things that are, some things are not sin issues, but they're wisdom issues. So sin will be things like sex outside marriage, murder, lying, stealing, coveting. Those are sin issues. But just because something is not a sin issue doesn't mean you should do it. So these are wisdom issues. Should I drink if I tend to get drunk? Should I spend my money as fast as I get it? Should I have unfiltered internet if I struggle with pornography? Should I be alone in an apartment with my boyfriend or girlfriend if we're struggling physically? When I'm angry, should I blast it all on social media? Should I ask that lady when her babies do? Should I cheer for the A&M Aggies? What in the world? So there are some things that are not about sin, but they're about wisdom. And so Chase used this quote last week, and I told him, I said, I'm using this quote. You can use it if you want, but I'm going to use it again the next week. He said, that's fine. So this is Ray Ortland again. He says, what if we have love but not wisdom? We will harm people with the best of intentions. If we have courage but not wisdom, we will blunder boldly. If we have truth but not wisdom, we will make the gospel ugly to other people. If we have technology but not wisdom, we will use the best communication ever invented to broadcast stupidity. If we have revival but not wisdom, we use the power of God to throw the church into reverse gear. But wisdom knows how to spread the gospel with no embarrassing regrets. You see, wisdom is is being able to live with nuance. I heard a pastor say a while back, Sometimes we're so right that we're wrong. What does that mean? Well, we might speak right information, but communicate it in the wrong way. And so wisdom is saying the right things, but saying them in the right way. This is wisdom. Often heard Christians say things like, well, I'm just speaking the truth, and if they can't handle it, that's their problem. Well, that's not, that's not wisdom. That's foolish. And wisdom's not about age. I've seen wise young people, and I've seen some foolish older people. So I love that we're diving into this book. So what are we talking about today? Well, there are three main characters that you're going to see throughout Proverbs. The first is the mocker. This is the defiant, the free thinker. This is the most hardened person in Proverbs. This is the person that mocks God and tries to recruit other people. This is the one who goes on the offensive, trying to recruit other people into their ways. The second kind of person is the fool. This is the morally insensitive person. This person listens to no one but him or herself. And then today we're talking about the simple person. Now, I did ask Gary, I said, are you going to talk about the fool on Mother's Day? And he said that probably wasn't a good idea. So I think he's going to cover that that next week after Mother's Day. But when you hear simple, I think most of us think of this right? I'm sorry if that's someone's uncle out there, but I googled hillbilly redneck, and this is what Google gave me, so I know some of you are thinking, like, 
What's wrong with that picture? That's a normal Tuesday at my house right there, right? So this is the simple, right? This is not actually the simple as, as the Bible defines it. But the simple defined is this. The simple is the uncommitted, the easily influenced. They're open to good and bad ideas. They're open to both. So here's the catch with the simple. The simple does not mean unsophisticated. Somebody can look like the guy I just showed you, but be wise. Okay, maybe that's not true. But someone can look sophisticated, but be simple. Someone can look big city, but still be very simple. And everyone starts out, I'm not saying that like being simple if you're young, if you're three or four years old, being simple is not a sin, you're just young. But if you stay there, we can become the fool or the mocker, and the simple person is the fool or the mocker in the early stages. They're usually young. So the Hebrew word for simple is this word petty, P-E-T-I. It's related to the verb to be open. This person likes to keep their options open. They think they're above commitment. They don't want to commit. They can't discern between good and bad ideas. And so because they're easily influenced, sometimes they're influenced toward the good. So the core of this person's life is to seek approval. Sometimes they even seek approval from Christians. Out of the three people we're talking about in Proverbs, the simple is most likely to be in the church. The fool and the mocker might be, maybe, but probably not. But the simple is probably most likely to be in the church because they're open. They're open to good ideas. They just don't want to commit their life to them just yet. For seasons of time, they can look like a solid Christian, but deep down there's no real commitment. This is a person that can hop from church to church or from small group to small group to small group just looking for the spectacular, looking for the next big thing. This is a person who's always looking for someone else to infuse them with something. And they listen to other people's opinions, and the one that they believe is the last one that they heard. They have an uninformed conscience. In Proverbs, you're going to see Wisdom personified as Lady Wisdom and Folly personified as Lady Folly all throughout this book. And they're both vying for the simple person. And the simple person is caught in the crossfire between Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. But here's the good news. There is hope for this person because of the people mentioned, this is the best one to be. In chapter 1, verse 4, part of the purpose of Proverbs is to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So what is prudence? It's the Hebrew word orma, which means shrewd or crafty. I don't mean like a Chip and Joanna Gaines kind of crafty. But this is like a good kind of crafty, like, like you know how to navigate life. You can figure out life. Instead of basing opinions on other people, God wants the simple to internalize wisdom. God, God wants the simple to internalize wisdom those good ideas they hear, and not just vacillate between the good and bad ideas that they hear throughout their life. The simple never appears that bad. They're kind of a blank slate. That's part of the problem. Derek Kidner says, one does not stay still. A man who is empty-headed will end up wrong-headed. If you don't know where you're going, you'll be easily led astray. 
No one stays neutral. And so it's not that the simple, they don't hate wisdom. They're just kind of, they're just kind of indifferent to it. And they really could go either way. Chapter 14, verses 14 to 15 say, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The first part of this passage is you reap what you sow. But the simple throughout Proverbs are always contrasted with the prudent. The simple believes the last opinion that he's heard. Now, he might read a good book. He might hear a good sermon. He might even apply some good principles, but it never leaves tracks in his life. It never becomes internalized for the simple. Now, the prudent doesn't just think about, I want you to look at these two words, the ways and the steps in this passage. It's really important. Because the way could be considered like the big picture trajectory of your life. Like, where's your life heading big picture? That's the ways. Now, the steps are the little steps to get there. This is the minutes and the hours and the weeks and the months. And the prudent understands something really important. The prudent understands the connection between the steps of their day-to-day and the overall trajectory, the way of their life. And the simple doesn't understand that. The simple doesn't understand that why do I have to do all these little steps? Why can't my life just change? Why can't my life just be better? They don't make the connection between the steps and the ways as they live out their lives. In chapter 22, verse 3, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The prudent can see what the simple cannot see. The prudent sees the future before it happens. The simple never learns from mistakes. They walk straight into bad decisions, which often lead to suffering. The simple is the person, when they do certain things, they throw up their hands and act surprised when they're injured by it. This is the simple. When I was in high school, I played soccer, and um, I've been kind of getting itch to play again, and I just thought, I want to play with some guys here in the city, so we decided to join a little local adult soccer league, and I was a, a, a striker in high school, so when I see a loose ball in front of the goal, I get stupid, and so first game, there's a loose ball in the penalty area, and I'm running towards it, the keeper's running out, and we collide And he goes low, and I go high, and I go over him, and I stopped myself with my arms on the ground and took a pretty big fall. And it didn't hurt that bad, but I played the rest of the game. My arm starts feeling kind of tingly during the game. And then it gets swollen in the elbow, and I go see the doctor, and the doctor says, you have a fracture. And I thought, what? He said, there's no surgery, there's no cast, you just got to let it heal, but you can still play if you want. So um, I'm at that age of life where when you get injured playing sports, People don't feel sorry for you. They make fun of you. And so in the second game, when the opportunity presented itself, do you think I decided to charge the keeper in game number two? No way. No way. You know why? Because I'm prudent. I'm learning from suffering. I'm learning from my mistakes. Now, I will say that in game number two, I did pull my hamstring. And will I learn my lesson from that? Probably not. 
But the prudent learns from mistakes. The prudent learn, lives in light of consequences, in light of suffering. The simple are surprised when they get hurt. So where in your life are you living like the simple person? Where do you keep getting hurt? Where do you keep doing the same things over and over and over again? And the same things keep happening over and over and over again. Where do you keep injuring yourself? Where do you keep on injuring the people around you with your behavior? Is it financially? Is it keeping a job? Is it relationships, marriage, friendship? Where do you keep doing the same things, expecting different results? Better yet, ask someone else that question about your life. Look at my life. Where do you see me living simple? Where do you see me not learning, making the same mistakes over and over and over again? Where am, where am I living simple in my life? Chapter 14, verse 18 says, The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The simple is like a lower-grade folly, but will grow into full-grown folly if it's left alone. There is this passivity in the life of the simple. You see it in, the, in this passage. The simple just inherit folly. Like, there's this passivity. They're not going in any direction in their life, and so they just inherit foolishness because they don't really stand for anything. This is the life of the simple person, but eventually it will graduate to folly. So this is the simple defined. I now want to look at, you can turn to Proverbs 7. We're going to look at the simple examine. This, I want us to zoom in for a few minutes. This is a case study of the simple person. And we're not going to look at the whole chapter. We don't have time to look at the whole chapter. We're going to look at a couple of verses. And this is really a case study for you parents. So you can read this with your kids later on, hopefully. But chapter 7 is really a great look at what temptation looks like for the simple and how they can fall to temptation. So this father is saying to his son, for at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. And some of you are thinking that was my house last night, right? But parents, I want to encourage you, read chapter seven to your kids. If you want to see how to talk with your kids about sexual temptation. This father tells his son, he says, I've looked out my window and I've seen young men late at night walking past the seductive woman's house. And this father tells his son what happens. All of chapter seven is about a father walking his kids through. This is what's going to happen when you put yourself in compromising situations. It's not that the simple person is looking to sin. They're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when they put themselves in these compromising situations and they're lured in by Lady Folly, the adulteress, the father here is walking his kids through. This is what sexual temptation looks like. And he tells the son, here's what's going to happen. It's going to seem amazing at first. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be beautiful and it's going to seem wonderful, but let me show you where this pathway leads. And this father's explaining this to his son. The simple is led by his senses, not by his conscience. The prudent person sees through all that. The prudent person sees the end and knows better and says, no, I know where this leads. I'm not going to walk down this pathway. That's the prudent person. 
And again, it's not that the symbol's looking to sin. They're just the wrong place at the wrong time. And so I think about how many of us put ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, whether it's late at night on a computer, whether it's you're just in the wrong, around the wrong people, and allowing yourself to be influenced by certain things because you don't really stand for anything. How many of us put, put ourselves in those kinds of compromising situations? If you're a father or a mother and you want to walk your kids through what temptation looks like, we've got to talk about how we fall because we're not on guard. We're passive. How temptation appeals to the senses. Warn about the consequences and the pain and the loss. Talk to your kids about how you've been tempted. Ways in which you have fallen and what it led to. I think many of us as parents don't talk enough to our kids about our own personal journey and how we need to guard against temptation and how we're doing that and carrying it out in our lives. Your kids need to have those conversations with you. But as we help them fight temptation, it's about more than just morality. I think in the church, we're tempted to just talk about behavior, especially with kids, behavior and morality, and that's it. And if you remember, what is the, the first core value here at TBC? What is it? Say it to me. Man, every service has failed this test. What is it? First one, surrender, right? So remember, this is not just about behavior or just morals. There needs to be a true heart surrender of faith, a vibrancy, a love for God. And out of that place, out of that love for God, that reverential fear of God, there should flow, yes, some morals and there's going to be some behavior change, but it's got to start with surrender. And I think for us parents, the temptation is to just, I want them to go to church and be around good influences, but if we don't call them to surrender, they might just end up being moral and well-behaved, but still be simple. We've got to keep pressing the gospel into their lives because apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. Ray Ortland says, until we come alive to God, it seems cool to stand aloof and laugh at everything. In our culture, it seems intellectual to not commit to anything, but this is the lie the simple falls for every time. It feels superior but it is foolish because we are not neutral. We don't have a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. We have no angel. We have only a devil of a heart telling us we are angels and we believe it. We've got to come alive to God because apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. And I've heard, I know this is well-intentioned, but at, at times I'll hear parents say things like, when their kid sins, they'll say, you know, she really, she messed up, but she's got a good heart. And that statement always concerns me because if we, are, if we are saying this about our kids before they're converted, it might keep them unconverted. They might never see the need for Christ if we keep saying these kinds of things. Again, they might adopt some good principles, but if, done, if not done out of a true fear of God, a true surrender, they're just the simple person that's posing as a Christ follower. And so we have to focus, I think, on this idea of surrender 
And everything that we're talking about in Proverbs has to be rooted in this idea of surrender and fear of God and love for God. And we can't separate those things. So we've talked about the simple defined. We've, we've kind of zoomed in to examine what the shape of temptation looks like in real life, the simple examine. Now I want to talk about the simple set free. Chapter 19, verse 25 is my other favorite verse in Proverbs. It says, strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. So what's he saying? He's saying you can punch a scoffer in the face and he won't learn a thing. But someone else might. Someone like the simple. There is still hope for the simple. The simple is not too far gone. They've not gone too far. The simple is on the fence for sure, but as the simple is open to folly, he's also open to wisdom. And in chapter 21, verse 11, it says something similar. When a scoffer is punished, the simple becomes wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. The simple can still be influenced towards wisdom. If you can show the simple the pain of foolish behavior, he might just turn and repent. Now, in these verses... When the scoffer is punished, he doesn't learn anything. The simple might learn something when someone else is punished. But watch this. What does the wise man need in these verses? What does the wise man need to learn and grow? The wise man just needs words. The wise man just needs reproof correction, just words. Just words do it for the wise man. If you're a teenager, college student, young kid in this room right now, I want to talk to you for a second. What is required for you to learn wisdom? If your parents have to go beyond words, that means you're kind of on this pathway. Proverbs talks about being like the fool. More is needed than just words. But if you're someone where your parents can correct you and they can just speak words of, of instruction into your life and you say, yeah, I get it, I totally get that, then you're on your pathway towards being like the wise person. So what is required of you to grow in wisdom? For the scoffer, it's they don't ever learn that. The simple might learn when they see someone else's pain and suffering, but for the wise person, all they need are words. And they learn and grow from that. All through Proverbs, you're going to see wisdom personified as Lady Wisdom and folly personified as Lady Folly. You'll see those characters throughout the whole book of Proverbs. Now, Lady Folly is depicted as this adulteress or a prostitute. And she's preying on the simple and the fools. And it's often going to sound like it's discussing only sexual temptation, but don't be distracted by that because Lady Folly, although that's how she's portrayed as this adulteress or prostitute, it's really just showing us the shape of all kinds of temptation because most temptation takes on the same look and the same shape. So this is Lady Folly in the book. And then Lady Wisdom is depicted as this loud street preacher, as uncomfortable as that may be. When I was in college, I went to the University of Texas at Arlington, and when I was in college, there was this 
square in front of the library, the free speech area, and there was a guy who would come about once or twice a year, and he would just shake his Bible at people and yell and scream at people, and he was preaching this false gospel, and there were these, the students would gather, hundreds would gather around the area and just yell at this guy as he's preaching this false gospel to them. And so we don't have the best idea in mind when it comes to the street preacher, but weirdly enough, that's how Lady Wisdom is portrayed in this, in this book, that she stands on the street corner and, and, and shouts wisdom to people and says, please come and turn in here and turn towards wisdom. So I want to look at, turn to chapter 9. I want you to see in chapter 9, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And we can't go through the entire chapter here, but I want you to see a couple of verses. First, this is Lady Wisdom and her invitation to the simple. She says in verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. This is Lady Wisdom calling out to the simple, inviting them in. And when you read the, the one verse, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed, it almost sounds seductive, but it's really this invitation. And she's inviting people who are simple into this event. This is an invitation. Look what she's inviting them into. If you read the whole chapter, she's inviting them into this big feast, this big party. We think of wisdom as the boring life. And you look in the text, it says, Leave your simple ways and live. This is where you find life. Then you look at Lady Folly in chapter 9, verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Notice the difference. Lady Wisdom offers bread and wine that she made herself while Lady Folly only has stolen water and stolen bread. There is something about badness that feels good. There's a story from St. Augustine in one of his writings where he talks about pears. And he says that even though in his youth, even though he had pears where he lived and they owned them, he would still go and steal pears from someone else because stolen fruit tastes sweeter There is something about badness that feels good. And here we see it. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. And sin always has this allure. The forbidden always has this allure. But in the end, it leads to death. And it's not just physical, but spiritual. Eternal separation from God. The simple, when left to themselves will spend eternity separated from God in hell. This is the reality. And in this life, sitting on the fence, if you're someone that just wants to sit on the fence in this life, that does seem like the intellectual position. That does seem like the logical place to be. But in the end it will lead to eternal separation from God. This is a life or death matter. This is a big deal. 
But here's the really good news. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. For the simple, it's not too late. There is hope for the simple. Wisdom is not just a set of ideas. Wisdom is a person, and it's ultimate in the person of Jesus Christ. He is wisdom that's come in the flesh, and he offers life. There is no wisdom apart from him. Even as we say worldly wisdom, he owns all of it. It all belongs to him. The wisest thing that anyone can do is surrender their life to him and learn from him through his word. And one of the best ways to learn about God through his word is in the context of community. Every year, the last four years, we've taken a church-wide survey, and we have asked a question, like, are you plugged into community? And, and every year, it's been consistent. 35% of you have said yes, and 65% of you have said no. And so that means a large majority of us are coming in here and hearing a sermon, which is good, but we want you to move beyond just surrender and move into community. We, we feel like we believe here that disciples are best made in the context of community. The best way for you to learn and grow in his word is going to be in the context of community. There's a young a, a couple that comes to our, our group on Friday nights. They just started coming a few weeks ago. And I love what this man has said numerous times. He has said, I'm a fairly new Christian, and I want to learn and grow and I'm going to learn from you guys. And he, he wants to learn and grow. And so he's surrounding himself with people that may be a little bit further down the road than he might be spiritually, but he wants to learn and grow in the context of community. One of the best ways to learn God's word is going to be in the context of community. The simple is someone who always seeks the approval of others, but seeking Jesus in this world is going to feel like foolishness. Seeking Christ, if you're someone who's on the fence this morning, understand that seeking Christ in this world is always going to feel like foolishness. And if you feel like you can't make the decision because you don't want to look like a fool to the world, like here's the really good news, is that the Bible even says that it would feel that way. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. You see, we have two choices. We can be a real fool in the eyes of God, or we can just look like one in the eyes of the world. And the question is, which choice will you make? Father, we're grateful for these words of Proverbs, for this ancient wisdom. Words on a page are so helpful to us in our lives, but we're even more thankful for the Word incarnate in flesh, Jesus, who came here to live with us and to live a life that we could not live and to die a death on our behalf, and to resurrect on our behalf. We thank you for his life, and his death, and his resurrection. God, I pray that if there are people 
for the people in this room that are on the fence, that are open to good ideas but don't truly ever embrace them, that they would also embrace the God of that wisdom. I pray that you'd be so real to them today that they couldn't help but cry out to you in repentance and say, I want to know you. I want to put my faith and trust in you. And they would cry out in repentance this morning as they begin to let you reign and rule in their lives, God. We pray that for our church. We pray that for our people. We pray that for our city as we live on mission together in this place, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen.